Hello, everybody. It's Matt Larkin here. I am joined with a very special guest. You may know him as arguably the leading activist for inclusivity in hockey for LGBTQ+, but he's also known, perhaps most famously, as the first openly gay male pro hockey player, a very inspiring human being. Brock McGillis. Brock, it is a pleasure, as always, to have you on the show. Matt, thanks for having me. I thought I was most known for my trolling of Canadian fan bases on Twitter. But hey. Yeah, it is your brand now. I, and I do think you have really carved out a niche. And uh, it's, it's brave because you go after everyone. You, you don't spare anyone in, in your chirps this year. Here's the thing. I had a, a, a Curt, Curtis Gabriel said to me one time, he goes, how, how do you like chirp fan bases? Like, isn't that a problem? And I said, no, because I'm not chirping individuals. I'm not punching down. And everyone's welcome and in on the joke. Like, it's just fun. Um, you know, I have some new material I came up with recently. Uh, I'll share it with you quickly. Uh, Vancouver, um, the worst thing, the North Division was the worst thing to happen to Vancouver Canucks hockey since uh, Mike Keenan and Mark Messier. Um, <laughs> Uh, and Vancouver is the city of a million podcasts. There's more podcasts than there are people. I don't know who listens to them, but the, the, everyone has five podcasts. Yes, yes. And, and what I like too is you, you don't kind of wait for wounds to heal. Like you're right in there, you know, after a team loses or overtime, oh. whatever it is. Like you just, you're just, I'm like, okay, here comes the Brock tweet. And oh, yeah. Just dive in. Yeah, like I'm, I'm currently cheering for the Islanders and the Canadians in the playoffs because I think the city of Toronto will spontaneously combust. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Absolutely. Well, uh, Brock, thanks for coming on today. And uh, the reason why I wanted to bring you on, of course, it's Pride Month and it's a great time to talk it about is. these matters, but it's not just during Pride Month that you talk about these things. But the reason why I wanted you on right now in particular is I've been intrigued. My interest has peaked. You've been sort of putting out a series of tweets implying you're working on a massive project. I want to read the tweet, the initial tweet that I saw a couple weeks ago, and it was, if you are LGBTQ+, and either work in, play, or a fan of hockey, then I'd love to celebrate you. All stories are impactful. All stories deserve to be shared and celebrated. Please send an email to hockeyprideinterview at gmail.com. So Hockey Pride Interview, and I've seen your tweets, your updates. It looks like you're getting, I think, 100 interviews, give or take, done on this subject. So before we get into what it is, I want to talk about what inspired what clearly is a massive undertaking. And I know, you know, you've had some wins and some losses. One of the more recent losses for you was you've been working on this massive project of educational modules for inclusivity and you had made some headway and, and then suddenly you had the Ontario Hockey Federation back out. And, you know, I, I chronicled that in the story I published already, but I know it was, it was pretty crushing because you had done a lot of work on it already. So I'm, I'm curious, did this project kind of come from the ashes of that disappointment? Well, th that was a, a tough blow. I'd uh, brought together arguably 10 of the, the leaders in uh, different spaces of diversity and inclusion and mental health and well-being and abuse. And, and we were putting together a program. I was outsourced by the OHF to do it. And then they just ripped it from under us. Um, you know, we, we had been working for months and uh, random, randomly one day, I'm on a Zoom and they're like, we're not doing it because of COVID. And then they emailed all my academics without people they'd never been in contact with. They just, the board approved and I'm the one who sought them out, got them. It was a team I created and um, never even 
let me tell them. And it was, it was crushing, but honestly, we're still working on that. And there's going to be a hockey federation. There's going to be a hockey association or, or uh, a governing body who's going to see the value in it and they will partner on it. And it's going to revolutionize um, humanizing and educating athletes, um, management, coaches, parents, officials in the sport of hockey. And, and somebody will see the value in that and won't use COVID as a justification to stop doing it. So that is one of the things, but ultimately I think the biggest two things for me were um, 10 teams are still partnered with Chick-fil-A and that just irks me to no end because all these teams and some of them actually refer to themselves in tweets as allies and Chick-fil-A is, and, and they all have pride nets. Yes. And Chick-fil-A is currently funding, um, or if they're not, they're doing it through their CEO. Um, most of the anti-trans bills, in, trans and sport bills in the United States, they're actively trying to um, eradicate the Equality Act that's trying to be passed in America right now. And they are an impress, uh, oppressive organization for queer people, for LGBTQ plus in society let alone in sport. And people go, well, who cares? They're just chicken. And I'm like, well, there's a reason why they see value and there's a reason why groups partner with sports teams and advertise in sport. It's because it makes them money. And that money is then being used to fund hate. So, so we need to take a look and it really does matter, especially if these organizations and the NHL itself says hockey's for everyone and they want to be inclusive. So that sort of started this and I've been talking about that for a while and more stuff's come out on them recently. And, and it just, it just really uh, got me to be like, I have to do something. And then uh, pride month hit. And the first tweet I saw and the first tweet many people saw from the NHL on pride month is um, was uh, how they are going to celebrate allies this year and center allies. And <clears throat> To me, if you're doing that for your fans and, and publicly, it sounds a lot like straight pride, straight people celebrating straight people when we can do that all year or let the queer folks do that. We'll do it. But, you know, celebrate the community, uplift the community. When we have equality, we'll, we'll thank everyone who's helped us along the way. And, and we're very grateful and do thank the people who help us along the way. So uplift to shift because there's still a lot of hate in the comments People still don't feel safe in arenas and nothing has changed in locker rooms from youth hockey all the way to the NHL. So this sort of was uh, a byproduct of all of that. And what I decided to do was celebrate people. So I sit down, I do interviews with LGBTQ plus people and I hear their stories. I hear, you know, celebrate the good, um, who they are, how they got into hockey. Um, what, how hockey could be better for them, what they love about the sport, what keeps them here, even if it's not good, and what gives them hope for the future. And we're sharing over a hundred stories that should be hopefully starting to release um, before the end of Pride Month because it was a last minute um, project. So I'm hoping to start releasing them by next Monday, the 28th, I think, somewhere around there. 
And uh, yeah, I, I want to release these. I want to celebrate queer people in the sport. And I want to show the rest of hockey how many of us there are and how we are so diverse. Excellent. And at this stage, are you able to reveal sort of details on, on what these interviews are going to look and sound like? And are, are they going to be presented, you know, are they going to be podcasts? Are they going to be video? Are they going to be written interviews? And are, going to, right. are they going to be packaged together or sort of just revealed one day at a time, one interview at a time, that kind of thing? So the, the way I thought it out, I've been doing this thing on social media called uh, Brock Talks. And it's a Twitter thread where I share a story of an experience I've had either with people or in hockey culture or in, or in my personal life and dealing with being gay. And, and I do it as a Twitter thread. And I think each person is going to be released as a Twitter thread mm -hmm. with each of their answers. And I'm probably going to do two a day because I can't do a hundred days of <laughs> threads um, so two a day and uh, just, I, I don't want to do them all at once because I think people will get lost, but that will give people a chance to see them, listen to them, see faces. It's all going to be video, uh, see faces of these people and hear them and see that we are here and put a, put a face to LGBTQ plus and put faces um, so we'll re I'll release two a day on my social medias and then I'll probably, uh, put them on my website with YouTube link and, and show the full interview there. Okay. And, and for you, because you've spoken to so many people so far, obviously, you know, you've been as open as anyone in the history of the game about the experiences of being gay in hockey, but has anything surprised you or, or provoked you or shocked you so far just because you've been speaking to so many different people and has, have any stories particularly touched you? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I had a 15-year-old non-binary hockey fan in New York who um, said I inspire them and, and, like, and, and brought me to tears. You know what I mean? <clears throat> um, seeing so many people with different experiences, good and bad, in the sport. Seeing so many, it's not just, you know, what I really like about this is it's not just like white, cis, uh, gay men and lesbians. It's, it's encompassing of the, you know, the majority or as many as we can get, like diverse people in terms of LGBTQIA2S+, uh, in terms of race, in terms of you name it, we're, we're trying to be as intersectional as we can and share that because those stories matter. Um, each and every one inspires me. And the, the, the common thread is uh, the want and need for community. And so many of them have found, um, you know, these mini communities, these pockets within the sport. And that's so lovely to see. But it tells me how strong we could be as a community if we did come together and we did empower one another and inspire one another so that the sport has to listen and shift to make it safe for all of us. I see. And because, you know, when, you've, when you first put the call out for, for interview subjects, it wasn't just hockey players you're looking for. You're looking for people who are just involved in the game in any way. Have you noticed any crucial differences in the experiences of people who are in the game playing, you know, inside the dressing rooms and people who are just working kind of around the game. It's interesting. Um, 
you see the people who are, are more passionate about um, or, or more involved in the social justice aspect of it um, and how some people may just be casual fans and appreciate the, you know, what I call performative, but the more um, visible gestures and, and are just thankful. And I think you also see people who um, have been around longer so they've been around 20, 30 years in the sport and went from a, a space where, you know, they for sure couldn't be themselves to are now grateful that they can go to a pride night. Um, whereas there's some people who are like, this is very performative because, you know, they may be younger and they grew up where pride night was already a thing and they're like pushing for more. So there's different people are at different spots depending on um, age, depending on how long they've been in the culture, uh, depending on their lived experiences. And, and that's fascinating because I think it takes all sorts. Right. And I think for me personally, this is going to help me with my activism and advocacy because it gives me different perspectives and I can slow down a little bit when I want to get pissed off about something and be like, okay, this is helping some people. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's actually given me a different perspective on the NHL. Like, I'm still not thrilled with where we're at, but I also look at the NHL had, you know, some inclusion stuff within their front, like within their corporate NHL office and, and had uh, the stories of uh, a trans youth and, and had their parents talking and different things. And it, it gives me pause to go, okay, those are really good things. And that, that matters too. You know what I mean? It's not just critical, critical, critical. It's like, yeah, they're also doing this. So it's, it helps find some balance between it all. Yeah, for sure. And I know it's early in the process because the interviews haven't even started rolling out yet, but do you have a sense of a long-term goal that, that you want to accomplish with them? Or is it just kind of going to be more organic and you're going to see how the public responds and kind of go from there? The public response has already been massive. I mean, like over like a hundred people have emailed to sign up in a week and a half. Awesome. You know, um, and we're closing down because I can't do um, free interviews for the rest of my life. Um, and and because I had to block out, like I'm, I'm doing this eight plus hours a day. Like I just had to block Ooh. out my days. And and I have, you know, there's there's at least 10 plus maybe 15 people volunteer editing. Uh, we have people who are volunteer scheduling and organizing, and we have people sit in on the interviews with me. And uh, I, I think the long-term goal, I think somebody's going to see it and be like, this is incredible, needs to happen more. And, and that wasn't my intent in doing it. It was just like, listen, I have a platform. Um, I can amplify voices, let's do it. But now if this rolls out the way I think it will, it's how do we get somebody on board to, to share this and help so that it could be a sustainable thing long-term and, you know, maybe somebody who has editors already and somebody who has resources that we don't have right now. And we're just doing random zooms and then volunteer editing. So um, I want it to stay grassroots for now. I just want to celebrate people and I'm hoping the hockey community will. I'm urging everyone who thinks they're an ally or refers to themselves as an ally to 
hashtag hockey pride to share it to to engage with it and listen to the stories because the more people who see all of these stories the the safer the hockey space will become and and the more comfortable queer folks will be and and not for anything else if like leagues see this and whatnot uh an nfl player came out this week and his jersey just went from not being purchased to all of a sudden the most purchased Jersey in the last two days. Um, Amazing. You know, I didn't know that. I didn't know that, that the Nassim Jersey was that popular. That's really cool. Yeah. So the pink, the pink dollars are real. And the more inclusive you are as a sport, the more you will attract more people and those people will become lifelong fans and they'll rally around the sport. So ultimately I hope it, it, it inspires more fans I hope it inspires more people to the sport. I hope it inspires more youth to think they can continue to play. For sure. And, and you mentioned the hashtag Hockey Pride. I'm kind of curious too. Um, have you branded or are you going to brand the interviews with, with a specific name so that people know what to watch for when they start rolling out? And is it Hockey Pride or is it something else? It's going to be Hockey Pride. Hockey Pride. Okay. Um, yeah. And yeah, we have a cool Start Teach video, um, almost like a hockey card of each person um and and we're we're really going to celebrate them and we're really going to amplify voices and i'm i it's special i i got to watch one last night and i had goosebumps and i want uh, i've been talking to some of the people who are helping organize and at the end i think we're going to take powerful clips from each person and mash them together into another video and, and really, really do something powerful that can then be shared as well on top of the, you know, individual people's stories. Awesome. Um, and I know you, you briefly touched on, on Carl Nassib and I know, I know, you know, because you're such a representative in the sport that I'm sure you've been inundated with questions about it this week. So I don't want to talk too much about it, but I did want to ask you about one thing specifically, because even in just, casual conversations I've heard, I've seen and heard some people echo something that even Carl Nassib said in his own video, which was the idea of, you know, I, I can't wait for the, the day when this no longer is a big deal. But in my own conversations with people, I've been trying to explain, yes, that is the goal, but right now it still is a big deal because this has to happen to get there. But I'm curious from your perspective, you're obviously more qualified than I am to explain that. So for anyone who's asking that question, why is this news? Why does it have to be news? Can you explain why, assuming you do agree with that? Um, it is news and it does matter because um, I get kids coming to me every day from all over the world who are quitting sport um, because they're queer. Um, they're self-harming, they're struggling. Um, suicide rates are almost 50 times higher amongst queer youth. Uh, the idea of um, self-harm and self-harming is higher. I think more people are turning to substances in their youth um, to cope. It's hard when all your struggle is internal and you don't know how the world will perceive you from your own family to your friends to your, your teammates to your sport. <clears throat> and there's no guarantee how people will react. We have one current active out gay athlete in a men's team professional sport. 
there's over 100 players on each football team. There's 32 teams. Simple math tells you there's a lot of gay players in the NFL. I'm the only hockey player to play professionally in North America to come out in the history of the sport. That is insane. Yeah. Um, so it's not a safe space. If it's actually an oppressive space for LGBTQ plus people, the language used, the behaviors, the, the perception that everyone's straight heterosexism um, leads people to think they're bad or wrong and can't be themselves and they quit. Sport hurts queer people more than it helps right now. We have to get it to the point that it's an empowerment tool because I think the people are good people in general. I think people are, and it can be something they rally around. These social issues are something that can be rallying points the same way cancer is and everything else that they recognize needs to be rallied around. We just have to teach them and guide them. And that's an onus that should be on the NHL, all 32 teams, Hockey Canada, USA Hockey, every federation across each province or state, and each minor hockey. They're not doing enough, or in most cases, anything to humanize and educate their players, their staffs, the officials, and the parents. And that's creating unsafe spaces for kids and oppressive spaces for kids who are already 50 times more likely to try and take their life. And stuff like this matters. Yeah, well said. And, um, and I'm just curious from your perspective, from the big picture, um, you touched a little bit on the idea that the NHL has done some things recently, you know, to promote inclusivity and there's signs of, of baby steps of progress. But in terms of an overall litmus test, where do you think the sport is right now compared to, I'm not even going to say five years ago, I'm going to say one year ago. The reason, reason why I say one year ago is I'm curious are we seeing progress when there's supposed to be progress? Because progress in the last year at the highest level of the sport has been promised in the forms of things like the executive inclusion council. Right. And I'm just curious where you think the sport is right now. And are we seeing signs of that progress yet? Are we going in the right direction? I haven't seen a thing. I haven't seen anything tangible that will actually make the sport safe for queer people. Um, the pride nights, I've said this, a million times and I'll say it again. Um, it's uh, these, these celebrations, like don't get me wrong, what they're doing for their uh, people working in, on the corporate side is lovely, but that's corporate. That's the same thing as, as Apple or IBM or, or any uh, you know, corporate, corporation in the world just recognizing corporate social governance. That isn't hockey culture. And that's what they fail to realize until they do things to shift locker room spaces, to shift youth hockey in locker rooms, to shift throughout the entire sport. The rest um, doesn't change hockey. The, what they're doing uh, on their corporate side is lovely. I, I applaud them for it, but that's not hockey. And, and maybe they're not the only ones that should be criticized. Maybe it's a combination of them, the players association, each team um, for not doing enough. But ultimately they have the ability to in influence and shift. 
So <clears throat> I, I need to see more, I need to see something tangible from all of them before I can say they're doing anything. I haven't seen it. I've seen the same old. I, I've used the adage that, um, you know, it's Pride Nights are like having the parade before winning the cup. Mm-hmm. Um, or in Toronto, just having a parade because, you know, cups in Toronto don't seem to <laughs> I was go together. Say, you got to get the dig in there. <laughs> um, or, or in Vancouver ever, or, you know, um, I guess we could name every Canadian franchise <laughs> at this point. Um, I don't even think they could have a parade in Winnipeg because the streets are too small. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I have a hard time with this because I, I want to see something tangible. I mean, I've offered, I've offered so many times and other people have mentioned that I've offered this on interviews and whatnot, but I offered to go around their league humanize the issue for other teams. I have academics that would have put the education stuff together that are the best in the field. Um, it's been years, you know, I used to go around the OHL and they wouldn't make it mandatory. So I stopped and, and I, I did the OHL for free. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was traveling across Ontario and into Northern United States for free. I'm willing to do the work. Just got to, I, I mean, I had a minor hockey where I had, the, the NHL team in that city, a very influential minor hockey and a very influential hockey team, the team said they would go into the local minor hockey with me. The local minor hockey said no. Like, hmm. we, where would we host this? And I said, well, the team has this really big arena that sits 20-plus thousand people. That yeah, that's, a, that's a great venue. Yeah, yeah. And um, it just uh, – we need people to open doors – and be willing to, and, and, and I talk about this stuff, not because I want to call them out. Like I'd rather be chirping fan bases and having fun. I like that more. It's better for my well being and mental health. It makes me happier, but I can't because this still exists. For sure. Well, thanks Brock. I really appreciate your time and thanks for shedding some light uh, on the upcoming project. I'm excited to see what it's going to bring. I'll be refreshing Twitter in the days to come and we'll be sure to blast it out ourselves. And it's always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. Matt, thank you.